0: I'm sitting alone. Yeah, what it is is what it is, and tonight in just a few seconds, if you can wait because I can't, what it is is what it is. What
1: What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 197 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin?
0: What's going on, brother? Once again, we have a weekend of 10.30 start times for fights. Oh, my gosh. You're up till fucking 1 o'clock. I can't even fucking see my TV by the time the main event kicks off.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, becoming a father for the first time or it's just I'm getting older and the hours I'm working or taking a toll. But, dude, I'm asleep every night by, like, 9 o'clock.
0: Yeah, uh, dude, I can't do it anymore. I'm not 25. I'm no. sorry. By 1130, thirty, I'm uh, th- everything's starting to wind down for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, the only time I get up for, like, a late event is if it's something big. You know right, what I mean? Right. I wish all boxing was live from the United Kingdom at whatever at, at at midnight their time, right? You know. Then every fight we'd get at five p.m.
0: Back in the day, you used to get the midday fights on the Wild Wide World of Sports, so you, they'd be at like two o'clock in the afternoon. What? Yeah. Can we get back to that? Does boxing need to be at the ass crack of dawn?
1: Hey man, when you're when you're squeezing boxing events in between uh, conference tournament time as we yeah. lead up to March Madness, this is what you get. Yeah. And then you get like three or four corresponding articles about. Oh,
0: well boxing did really well considering what it was up against yeah i'll give bob Ehrman top rank credit has you know as this deal has kind of unfolded here they did a good job of picking their spots uh, following up you know stuff that's going to be highly viewed on ESPN picking off after the you know after the college basketball tournament yeah. this saturday they're mm. going to roll extra viewers just into people leaving their TVs on
1: well, I don't know if it, it worked in their advantage this go round, considering how tedious um, the opening bout was for Oscar Valdez versus Scott Quigg. Jesus Christ,
0: man. It's like pulling teeth. De Leon and Vences. <laughs> that was supposed to be some type of like regional battle. Mm. I, I kind of came out of that feeling like I was watching a Frank Warren card on Box Nation <laughs> starring. Tommy Coyle, and Scott Cardle. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, man, I love it. Welcome to episode 197 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play, and check out the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. Follow us on Twitter, at Vince Cummings 81, and at Kenny Keith Jr. Then let's get right down to business here. Um, We got the post fight from this past Saturday night, March 10th, on ESPN from the StubHub Center in Carson, California. It was a monsoon in Cali. They thought the heavens were open wide. Yeah, uh, it looked like there was about
0: 500 people at that fight.
1: Oh, man, and I tell you what, those were some brave souls. They kept on putting the camera on Mario Lopez, and he's sitting there. You could tell it's like he's got a poncho on and shit, but dude, he was sitting underneath the canopy. He was, just a little try- bit, yeah. he was trying to play the role of the, <laughs> right. uh, of the tough fan. Street cred, right? <laughs> oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah, man, it was definitely a um a scene. I loved when they panned out and 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 you could just see the rain coming down and 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 the lights accentuating of it. It, it added a layer of dramatics to this entire uh, uh, fight card from the StubHub. Um, that listen, man, anytime you get a matchup and what we saw in this Oscar Valdez versus Scott Quigg WBO featherweight championship, um, there's always some sort of of aura some sort of mystique that surrounds um you know fights like this uh at the mecca of boxing on the west coast the stub up center
0: yeah look it, it delivers once again in a fight that's just a bloody disgusting war <laughs> oh man it, it, you mentioned something before we started the show that how the rain kind of accentuated that you know how the 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 way that fight came off on TV just imagine if it was raining in the ring it would look like a fucking you know <laughs> Almost like a comic book yeah. with with the amount of blood that was, uh, it, you know, a great fight to watch. But I think the sad part is the story coming out of this fight is Scott Quigg not even coming close to making the weight. The excuses being made of somehow, you know, he fractured a foot and he had a terrible camp. And the, it, just all of the stuff that's coming out of this makes no sense to me. And we saw uh, Steve kind of got into Eddie Hern Steve Kim kind of got into Eddie Hearn after the fight about it in uh, a nice short little video if people want to check it out. It, it just boils down to, the, to to this for me, Ken. If your guy had a ter- – if he, if he fractured his foot and was having a terrible camp, this is a very fort- important fight in his career, correct? Absolutely. Why would you roll into this fight with a compromised fighter? I don't get it. You, wouldn't you call the fight at that point? And, and then what makes it look even worse is at the actual press conference the day before the weigh-in, you're looking at Scott Quigg and he looks like a goddamn ghost. He's gaunt as can fucking be. Uh, he looked like he couldn't lose any more weight at that point. Don't tell me it's it's because he couldn't do his road work. It looked like he did all the road work his body could fucking handle. So I don't know what, you know, to me, it seems like a load of bullshit. I don't know what the fucking actual facts are. I'm not going to claim, you know, this is fact and that's fact and whatever, but it, it it kind of stinks like shit, Ken. That's what I'm going to say.
1: Oh, I smell it. I smell a lot of things coming out of this. I, you know, one thing I was concerned about that, that, that stunk like shit to me was this narrative that was being sort of presented in the lead up to this. It was being presented when Scott Quigg didn't make weight, didn't show up to the scales. Then in the ring, they were still talking about it like it was almost like Kriegel already had his fucking punchlines and his talking points laminated, oh, and he yeah. didn't want to have you know have to print out another a word document, have it laminated again, have to restudy new points leading up. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Because. Triggle has so much going on, you know what I mean? He, he has to choose which turtleneck he's going to
0: wear to the ring. He had already memorized the script, Ken.
1: Exactly. So it starts off in this weird, like, it was almost like it was taboo, kind of like with this Ray Beltran and his steroids thing, like something you don't really talk about. Everybody loves him, so he gets a pass on it, right? Well, with Scott Quigg, it's like you, you weren't allowed to just come right out and say it. I mean, this guy looks like a fucking welterweight in the ring, right? Yeah. You're not allowed to question his, his work ethic. You're not allowed to question his motives coming into this fight. He's a gym rat, Ken. Oh, he's a gym rat. He's dedicated. All he does, he sleeps in the gym. He's constantly in the gym. If he's
0: not in the gym, his mom is catching the mitts.
1: Yes. He's at the gym so much that his mom calls him Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't it seem weird?
0: It did. And it
1: was perfectly clear. Look, one of two things happened. Eddie Hearn's correct, and he had a shitty camp, and they went through with it because they had some really good financial guarantees coming from the United Kingdom. And just like Valdez, he, he even admitted, I'm taking the fight because I want to get paid. Right. You know what I mean? So, okay, that's one excuse that may or may not be the truth, you know? And the other thing is, is they, they, they took the fucking Danny Jacobs strategy against Triple G, you know? They knew that they were in a fight that they probably couldn't win. Because as we, as we saw, Valdez being in there with a guy that was almost eight pounds heavier than him on fight night, dude, motherfucker has got uh, nine lives in the ring. His heart. I mean, dude, Valdez is a fucking baller. He's a warrior in there, dude. He's nonstop, and I think Quig knew, <laughs> dude. I'm gonna have to get every advantage I can get.
0: Yeah, I mean, when's the last time we've seen Quig come into a fight looking the way he looked? He's Quig's normally a a cut up guy that you know normally it, what he looks like follows the narrative of Jim rat. Sure, uh, you know, I, we know making 122. He was a huge guy to be fighting at 122. Oh, he
1: had massive power at
0: 122 yeah. but he's just recently come up to 126 he, he hasn't even been there for two years i don't think but he's only fought twice in two years so you know i i don't understand Seemingly. yeah I, I i don't understand where the weight loss issue comes in here to me it it kind of seems like yes he did have a bad camp and you know maybe he's maybe he's not good for 126 anymore he's he's creeping up in age. These guys struggle cutting weight as they get older. You know, look, it is what it is. At the end of the day, Valdez took a serious risk getting in the ring with this guy. His entire team surrounding him told him not to. He decided, now, nah. like you said, these guys don't fight that much, nor do they make as much as you think in the ring. They got to fucking fight to make a living. So he had to go forward with it. He's not going to spend three months of his life training his ass off for a huge spot on ESPN to make 400 thousand dollars and walk away from it at the end of the day. You're just not going to do it. And that's kind of the predicament the sport is in as a whole. These guys can't afford to walk away from paydays. They're not what they fucking used to be. I give him all the credit in the world. He fought his ass off with a broken jaw from the fifth round on. Unbelievable performance. And Quigg fought well, too. But how much credit am I to give a guy that weighed hundred, nearly 143 pounds in the <laughs> ring? A hundred and forty three pounds. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I it's an it's unfucking believable.
1: Yeah, and look, man, and and I think that speaks to Valdez. Look, it, it's clear as the competition has gotten more more stiff, more fierce um, for the WBO featherweight champion. Um, he starts starting to show us a a, a repeated pattern mm-hmm. of flaws in his defense. I mean, my boy is Amir Khan when he backs out of the pocket. No, he, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Get your hands up, son. Yes, exactly. So, that being said, we have a vulnerable fighter who is ultra-aggressive and ultra-exciting. I'm telling you right now, man, Valdez was not going to lose that fight last night, no matter what. One of the most unbelievable stats to me in this entire fight, and it's not. it doesn't speak to the fact that Oscar Valdez has you know, a Gennady Golovkin or Vladimir Klitschko or Terrence Crawford-style jab. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't. Right. But one of the craziest things that I read last night was that Oscar Valdez threw almost 400 more jabs than Scott Quigg did. He threw almost 1,000 punches, and four, over 450 of them were fucking jabs. I'm
0: trying to remember 10 jabs that Scott Quigg threw in the whole fight. He threw, I think he threw 70. Yeah, I, look. And and in the first round he landed one. Yeah, he was Quigg uh, Quig was coming in stomping forward, throwing big shots. Everything, you know, 75% of his punches were power shots, I believe. And, you know, it was clear to me the way they fought the fight, you know, uh, put it on top of that the the weight issue. Yeah, that was the game plan. Was to come in and bully Scott Quig and the weight the extra weight was to help do that. You know, whether they win or lose that fight, yes. They're taking a beating over it. They lost, and they're taking a beating in the media and the boxing media over it. But if they won, yeah, they'd take that beating, but they could still hang their hat on, we beat Oscar Valdez. I mean, fuck, look at Salido. He's, how many passes has that guy fucking got yeah. for the same ship. So, you know, it, it was a calculated risk for both fucking guys, and and uh, unfortunately for Quig, he comes out smelling horrible. <laughs> I mean, terrible. Uh, you know, I give him credit. He, you know, he may have won three, four rounds in that fight, and he fought very hard. You never question S- Scott Quigg's toughness. The guy is a tough fucking character. But I, you know, as we've seen him against the best in the world, he's just—he's a step below. He's—he's he's the Yevgeny Gradovich of, of, of this time right now. Yeah. Tough fighter comes forward. He's going to make you work for a victory, but he just—at the end of the day—he doesn't have the talent to get it done at that level. And for Oscar Valdez, we've been saying it forever. We've been saying it for two years with this guy. This guy's going to get beat at some point in time. Somebody is going to beat him, but he is going to give us some of the most entertaining fights over the next three, four years. I feel like this is a crash and burn kind of style he fights in. Uh, when he falls off the cliff at the you know in his late 20s, very early 30s. He's going to gonna get knocked out. It's going to be quick. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know johnny gonzalez situation it's just going to be a guy that kind of disappears because of the style of fights he fights there's only so much you have in the tank and this guy unloads it in every fucking fight i mean that's three brutal fights in a row brutal
1: yeah i mean dude look this fight to me like you know people are talking about where does this stand and you know so far this year it's been you know we're only in the third month of 2018 but as it pertains to you know fight of the year whatever look this is not to me going to be a fight of the year candidate. It may be one of of ESPN's fight of the year candidates at the end of the year. Um, You know, one of the three factions uh, you know, that are running boxing right now. But to me, this was honestly, this was a more violent and a little bit more entertaining version of Leo Santa Cruz versus Abner Marez.
0: Um, because it's tough it, to get a fight of a year with no knockdowns. No,
1: no, no. But hey, look, I scored the fifth round 10, eight for, for Quig when he buzzed Valdez, you uh, know,
0: as you could have, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with anybody who scored that
1: those last 30 seconds of that round. I mean, dude, I was on the edge of my seat because I thought Quig was going to end up taking him out to be yeah. completely honest. Yep. Um, but look, this fight had such a lopsided stat count of punches thrown. You had a guy that almost threw a thousand and a guy that almost threw 500. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when you take that combination and you you see the theatrics, the blood and guts, I mean, fucking Oscar Valdez looked like one of the, like it was a, a, a scene in the walking dead where like the survivors are squaring off against the zombies in a fucking torrential <laughs> downpour at night. Right. You know? I mean, blood drooling. Uh, just all this blood splattered everywhere. Yes, it was fucking awesome to watch. I loved every second of it. It was just a little notch above Santa Cruz versus Marquez,
0: in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's at the end of the year, I feel like it really won't even be in the conversation for fight of the year. It was a good fight. Yeah, sure. Not hating on the fight at all. It's fun as shit. But yeah, I just was lacking something, uh, and maybe it was because you know that crowd or that fight may have been a lot better had that been a packed house because that place probably would have been raucous if it was packed. Oh, that sure. that was a good fight, if you're a fan at the fight, you you got what you paid for.
1: Going back to what you said about you know sort of runoff viewers coming off of a big college basketball game mm-hmm. on on ESPN here in the states, you got to say this. I think that this fight and this performance, if people were able to make it through that that lead-in fight. I think a lot of casual fans that watch Oscar Valdez and the way he pulled through that fight and just, again, the spectacle of just how fucking grotesque the fight was. Mm -hmm. I think Oscar Valdez comes out of this with some new fans. I think he's bigger than he was before. I'm not saying he's a fucking superstar, but like you said, if he's able to keep doing this on the ESPN platform, he keeps fighting tough guys. Uh, Oscar Valdez is going to earn a fucking rep in the boxing world and, and amongst casual fans.
0: I I cannot stress this enough. The fight cannot start at fucking midnight. <laughs> all right, it can't. Yeah, On the at- east coast you're, you're you're literally alienating, you know, some of the biggest markets in sports because dude, people just aren't up watching TV at midnight. Or, or, or nor are they going to stay up. I, I get to the point with these fights where I'm like Fuck it, man. I'm gonna be sleeping. I'll just won't check Twitter immediately when I wake up, and I'll just watch it in the morning. I do
1: the same thing now
0: because, dude, you know I like to start drinking around seven or eight. Ken, I don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> and three, four hours in, that's about all I got.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, man. If I'm hey, look, if I'm on uh, on Twitter and I'm going round by round making comments on it, I'm already tuned up. Right. Exactly. You, you know what I mean. Exactly. And that's the only thing keeping me awake. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, look good shit. Okay, yeah. I was really, really glad to like wake up and watch this this morning, and what I saw, um, you know, I wasn't disappointed. in. Oscar Valdez has a future, like you said. Will it come to an abrupt halt? We don't know, but what we can be guaranteed, because we've seen it um, over the last three years of this kid's career, is that we are in store for you know some really, really exciting fights. And guess what? Scott Quigg will now be relegated to the sixth lead-in fight. On the Sky Sports app, right in <laughs> Cardiff, Wales, uh, for his next fight.
0: Something tells me somewhere down the road we are going to get Quig Frampton too. I uh, just something tells me eventually that fight's going to happen. I'd be I'd be fine with that. Put it in
1: Belfast and make it a fucking scene.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, you because know, again, you know, we had the discussion about Frampton, and I just can't help but seeing some of these videos and just the way things are with him. My boy, just yeah, he's he's not in it. He's in it, but he's not in it. He's tra- he's training
1: for the Donaire fight right now. Yeah, and I don't know if you've noticed some of his his pics of him like like doing road work with his shirt off. Yeah, he looks skinny as shit. Like he looks, he doesn't look
0: muscular. Yeah,
1: he he doesn't look like that compact little tank that Carl Frampton was at 122 pounds.
0: I don't I don't understand the move to Jamie Moore. No disrespect to Jamie Moore's, you know, Jamie who. Yeah, exactly. Is he a I, pop singer? As as a trainer, I I I don't get it. He's, you know, I hate to say it, but he just thought, he seems like a, a guy that fighters go to to like, I want to do it my way. Jamie's just gonna be here to kind of be a yes man. Virgil for Hunter, yeah. I mean, fuck it, dude. He's fucking sparring. He's Carl Frampton is sparring Tommy Coyle in Camp. You you're not what? Are you, what are you getting from that? What are you getting from that? It's like this tight knit group of guys, and yeah, I get it. That's cool, but Donaire is, is not a big guy. Is, yeah, is <laughs> what's the does Coyle fight like Donaire? <laughs> no, what are you doing? Come on,
1: dude. That's the thing that makes that fight so interesting. I love the Frampton Donaire fight because I know for the first six rounds of that fight, but Frampton's in deep shit. Oh, absolutely, he's he is. in deep shit.
0: You know, he, he, Donaire's not a huge puncher at one twenty six. But he can, he can hurt you. I'm not going to say he might not be able to finish you, but he'll hurt you. All respect to the soul of
1: Cobrita Gonzalez. Yeah. I think Donaire throws a little harder punch. You would think so. And that's a guy that dropped Frampton twice. Yes, he did. In El Paso, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben. Let's get away from uh, uh, Oscar Valdez, Carl Frampton, Scott Quigg, and I don't know. I guess we could ask the question, you know, who, you know, who does Oscar Valdez fight next? Who do you want to see him fight next?
0: I'd love to. I mean, you know, I know Jojo Diaz is, is sniffing that Gary Russell mandatory, but I, you know, I don't trust anything involving Gary Russell Jr. <laughs> he chasing ghosts. Yeah, he's exactly what he's doing. I'd much rather see Diaz Valdez or Frampton Valdez eventually. Or, you know, if Donair, if Donair wins, Donaire Valdez, eh, you could put him in the ring with fucking anybody. He's going to entertain you. There's no doubt about it. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's
1: go to San Antonio, Texas, then for the Showtime card. Um, It was Mikey Garcia taking on Sergey Lipinets for the IBF junior welterweight title. Um, Coming into this fight, uh, you know, a lot of people were pretty definitive that Mikey Garcia was the supreme talent in this fight. Um, You know, some people I did hear a lot of people talking about, listen, Sergey Lipinets is is a bigger guy, and he is a natural 140-pounder, and Mikey Garcia is not. Um, I think coming into this fight and looking at these two guys standing there at the weigh-in with each other, um, I was actually starting to get a little bit more confident in Lipignets' ability to survive this fight because he just looks like a natural guy at that weight. And Can mm-hmm. Mikey Garcia move up to 140 and carry that power to be able to dispatch Lipignets to be able to offset that sort of talent? Didn't seem like that's what happened last night.
0: No, no. Look, Lipinets performed a lot better than I think almost everybody expected. He was competitive uh, for the entire fight. You know, Sands getting knocked down in the seventh round by a beautiful short left hook by Garcia right on the button. But uh, you know, Lipinets got right up and, and, and kept marching forward and had way more success than I thought he was going to have. I'll say this for Garcia because there's the continued talk you know, the dude is a technician. He's fucking unbelievable in the ring. This guy has a boxing IQ through the fucking roof. But this, you know, the weight class jumping, uh, the picking off, the, this seemingly picking off an easy belt at 140, you know, they're, they're, they they brought up the uh, moving up to welterweight. He weighed 147 in the ring last night. And to me, it looked like he looked a little soft in the midsection. You're going to go up to 147 and fight guys that are going to be 5'9", 160 to 63 pounds on fight night. His power is not going to hold up there. He's not going to be able to keep guys off of him. To me, he's maxed out at 140. And I, you know, if you want to jump back and forth from 135 and 140, that's fine, but don't, you know, I, I think it's a bit of arrogance on their behalf to think that they're that fucking good that they can just kind of defy size and and physical attributes and move right on up and pick up belts. 147 ain't for him, in my opinion, after watching that last night.
1: I think the logical, you know, matchup that's next for Mikey Garcia in this one, Ben, and I think it's, like, kind of been written. The fights were, you know, this weekend. We hear about sort of this Adrian Broner-esque path to legendary status and unification. Uh, It's real simple. The next fight for Mikey Garcia, and you can pretty much book it, is
0: Regis Progray. Um, signed, sealed, delivered. Yeah, yeah, and Progray looked good. Looked great on Friday night, dispatching of uh, Indongo Yeah, on Showtime. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think everybody would agree in that fight that, you know, Progray is a good young fighter, and, and it's tough to gauge him now. How, you know, I've, I've mentioned this about Ndongo, not to not to hijack the Garcia talk with this uh, with the with Indongo right here, but this guy is, I'm sorry, he was not good. When he beat Ricky Burns, everybody got excited about this long, awkward, you know, 140-pound fighter that nobody had ever seen before. It took about two rounds for me, and I'm no fucking boxing savant. All right, just look at my picks this year.
1: Well, you are special, though, then.
0: <laughs> yeah, in many ways. <laughs> the guy's just not very talented. He wasn't very good. And against the best in the world, Progre knocked him out quicker than fucking Terence Crawford did. I mean, a beautiful overhand right and just dropped and Dongo out cold. You know, I it, to me, I, I you know, if he's gonna fight Progre, that's fine. But I don't think Progre's ready for a guy like Mikey Garcia.
1: No. So look, I I may have overstepped my bounds on that one a little bit. I'll say this. This is when progray happens. It's not the next fight. Oh, yeah. Okay, Progray's going to fight the winner of Amir Mom and Jose Ramirez. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? And that fight actually might have to go to Perspid to make it, you know, to make it happen. That is unless I'm here. Mom beats Jose Ramirez. We'll get to that fight <laughs> yeah. here shortly because I think Don's got some built-in contingencies with old Papa Al. Absolutely. You know what does. I mean? Yes. It's kind of like uh, like uh, uh, John Thompson Jr.'s sort of reign that he has over Georgetown University's basketball program.
0: It's funny when you – got to ask uh, John first. <laughs> right. It's funny when you, like – there's so many times we have conversations and, and about fights being made and this and that going on and in the in the back rooms of boxing, and all of a sudden – Don King's name will come up out of nowhere. It's like, this guy's still fucking around reaching reaching in people's pockets and letting people reach in his pockets all the fucking time. The fact that he's still a
1: player just amazes me. I know man. He, hey, dude, you know what you gotta give him credit. He's doing more with less these days. You uh, know? Yeah,
0: he's doing a lot with nothing as far <laughs> as I'm concerned.
1: Oh man. Yeah, so look, it does look likely with Regis Progray um winning the WBC interim junior weight title um uh this past Friday night that Pro Gray is on a B line um for the winner of the fight that we're about to preview. So look, who cares? Josh Mike? Taylor's
0: in the mix there too at one forty. There's a you know, hundred and forty pound division starting to starting to round out a little bit. And you know, there's some young talent coming up as to, you know, a couple years ago, there's there was this weight class was fucking there was nobody. The was wasteland.
1: Mikey Garcia, um I don't know what his agenda is, Vin, but I think that at 135 pounds or 140 pounds, wherever he wants to roam, wherever he, he needs to plant his flag in some respect, he's got to be able to do something more for a showtime to be able to sell Mikey Garcia on this premise that what he is doing is legendary because, in my opinion, you know, looking how our audience grows with this show, um, a lot of educated boxing fans that we talk to have great opinions on the sport. The boxing fan with the access to the information that they have is becoming more and more educated. Yeah. And they're not accepting fighters at the talent level of Mikey Garcia sort of leapfrogging and sidestepping through dimensions, jumping through portals to pick off little belts and then announce, you know, I mean, let's be honest. These are the same people that, you know, two years ago were promoting a fight for Robert Guerrero, and I was hearing fucking commercials on AM Sports Talk Radio in Washington, D.C., saying that Robert Guerrero was a six-time world champion.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: Including fucking NABF belts and fucking (laughs) intercontinental uh, spinner belts, you know? I mean, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, that's my biggest frustration with Mikey Garcia and his career. I agree with you, Vin. I think I've been one of the most outspoken people that talk about fucking boxing when it pertains to Mikey Garcia's skill level right. and that the fact that he is one of the five best technicians in this sport. Yeah. Well, guess what? You got two other ones that are within reasonable weights yeah. in the same top five in Vasilo Lomachenko and Jorge Linares, and guess what? And then another one is at 147 pounds. You ain't going to 147 and fighting Crawford. It ain't happening. God. You ain't going to one for the fifth one. Errol Spence, you're not going there and fighting him. No. So, your best bet, if you really want to be legendary, if you want, you know, Vin and Ken to stop hating, <laughs> I doubt it. Go back down to 135, fight Lomachenko, fight Linares, do whatever you have to do. The Linares fight was there for the taking. And if you win that fight, dude, then you look like, okay, this guy's starting to stack up some some big wins. But having
0: – You beat win- Linares, you lose Lomachenko. Guess what? Right now – I'll put it to you like this. He's not in the Hall of Fame. No. And name me another four-division champion that isn't in the Hall of Fame. What, because F- well, he
1: beat Rocky Martinez?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm talking about in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah in this yeah. era, In but- this era, you know, there's going to be the era of – Sorry, we can't put Adrian Broner in the Hall of Fame because he's won a belt in four weight classes. But they'll invoke Tommy Hearn's name every time. It's it's like you have to, there has to be some type of career-defining win against an adversary who is fucking worthy of, of you being praised. Yes, has he been in some great fights, and is he a great fighter? No fucking doubt about it. There's no questioning Mikey Garcia's skill. But son, if you want the fucking credit, you got to take the risk, and you're not taking the risk right now. Manny
1: Pacquiao had legendary trilogies in the same amount of weight classes that Mikey Garcia has leapfrogged through time and taken weak belts. <laughs> right. I mean, it, this is what we're talking about. No,
0: nah, you're exactly right.
1: You know? I mean, dude, he doesn't have anything like that on his resume. Okay, no. you beat up a bunch of guys that were completely outmatched. I mean, I was looking at the, at the odds coming into this fight. And I, look, and I'm not saying that this doesn't happen across all promotional entities because it does, and we're seeing it more and more oh, yeah. as the sport is fractured, th- you know, in three ways. Right? There's three slices of the pie right now. Not enough ends to go around to get those kind of matchups. So guess what? We'll take the easy road. This one, Mikey Garcia was minus twenty five hundred, and you're going to try to say that this was a a stamping, a cementing, a lamenting fight, the fight that makes now Mikey Garcia no. a legendary fighter. He beat a guy who was a minus 2,500
0: underdog. Yeah. Uh, look, it's just it's not going to do it. Uh, and I'm not going to disrespect Mikey Garcia. He's got plenty of time to define what his career should be. But we're be. not
1: speaking to Mikey Garcia. We're talking to the idiots that are fucking prop- propagating yeah. this shit.
0: You, you cannot put him on that pedestal right now. The skills would say he should be there someday. Absa fucking But it's got to happen in the ring against somebody like a Lomachenko or a Linares or, you know, l- unlucky for him, Crawford moved up because at 140 pounds, Crawford Garcia would have been a great fight. He mm-hmm. can't get that. Don't go chasing fucking pipe dreams of 147 pounds.
1: You might get embarrassed and, by Sean Porter.
0: And being the first Mexican to win in five fucking weight divisions or whatever the case may be. Just... Dude, plant your flag at 135, and if there's a big fight at 140 and you think you can go up there and handle business, go ahead and do it. But plant your flag where you belong. He even said it himself. 135 is where I feel the most comfortable, and that's where the big fights are. Settle in, son.
1: (laughs) I don't know. It depends on how many people that old Big Papa Al has on the roster at 135. (laughs) it? Right. Maybe he'll get himself some rancid Bartholomew.
0: No, not after last night, Ken. He might get some <laughs> Creole Relic, that, that's for sure. Because Bar, the Barthelomy, uh train uh, came to a screeching halt last night.
1: Let me I ask, wouldn't recommend
0: watching it if you haven't watched it, but what a fucking listless, just nothing performance from Bartholomew.
1: So how can something, some being, some, some person who has been so listless, has been so boring... Possibly come to a fucking screeching halt then. <laughs>
0: That's a good point. <laughs>
1: he wasn't moving fast enough. No, he wasn't. It's <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. So uh, the two big main events from uh, from last night's action, uh, March 10th on ESPN and Showtime, we had Oscar Valdez, Scott Quig. Valdez defends his WBO 126-pound title. Mikey Garcia wins the IBF Junior Welterweight Championship from Sergey Lipinets. Um, in a competitive fight. So now we move to this weekend, St. Patrick's Day from the Madison Square Garden Theater in New York, New York. It's Jose Ramirez versus Amir Mom for the WBC Junior Welterweight Championship of the World. Then this fight is really interesting looking back on both these guys' careers and where we first met them, where we first intersected them at the beginning of our podcast, Mm -hmm. and the way that we used to talk about Jose Ramirez in the light of... Um, an attraction, a very popular guy in his hometown, sells a ton of tickets. Maybe not the most talented guy in the world, but loves to put on a show. Mm-hmm. And then a guy in a mirror mom who at one time, I think maybe four years ago, five years ago, was our number three rated prospect. Do we have him that high? God, yeah, I dang. think he was number three. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, it, dude, I think it was number three. And now to see where these guys' paths have <clears throat> taken them, and now they intersect, and I still kind of have those same initial thoughts about these guys where I see a guy in Ramirez who has a bright future in the sport, a guy and a mom that fell off and, and wasn't active. And all of that momentum he was building doesn't seem to be there. But these little things that define these guys as fighters are Jose Ramirez isn't the most skilled fighter in the world. A mom has a very, very educated jab. This thing could get interesting.
0: It, it could, uh, you know. It's the it, it's the boxer versus the the guy that's just going to go for it. I mean, Jose Ramirez has proven time and time again. Uh, bell rings to start the fight. Uh, you got a man that's going to bring it, and he's going to bring it at 100 miles an hour right off the break. If you're not ready for it, he will fucking overwhelm you. He did it in his last fight. Amir Imam has been a fighter over the last couple years, you know, since his defeat and kind of being uh, exposed as maybe a, b- a bit – Chinny and a bit soft, you know. This is this is going to be a tough go for him. He's going to have to survive the first three, four rounds in this fight to have a chance. I don't know if he can hold up. It's going to be very interesting to see if he does, and if he does, you know, does the fight swing in his favor in the second half? If this goes the distance, it's going to be a very, very, very tight fight.
1: I agree with Jose Ramirez. Like you know, with his tendency, his propensity to want to come out like a buzzsaw. It is going to be on Amir Mom to channel the jab that we saw him throwing three or four years ago. He's got to have confidence in his jab because that's the only thing that's going to keep Ramirez off of him. He's got to stand his ground, too. He does. He's got to fight tall. He's got to st- You're exactly right. Jose Ramirez will take everything that Amir Mom gives him. And if Amir Mom gives him a psychological advantage early on in this fight, then I see Jose Ramirez stopping Amir Mom. Because I don't know if he is mentally in a place where he can sort of compete with the confidence level that we know
0: Jose Ramirez is coming into this fight with. I mean, you think about who he lost, who a mom lost to, Ken, in, in, in Granados and the way that fight went. Granados just stomped him down, overpowered him, overwhelmed him. That's exactly what Jose Ramirez is going to do. You know, it, it's going to be a tough night for the kid. The kid's got the skills. Like you said, he's got a a good enough jab to be able to hold a guy off but he's also, you know, Mom's not this guy that's fleet of foot either. No, he, he's he's got quick, snappy punches, but he's kind of a guy that doesn't move a lot. He he likes to settle in, kind of use the use the front shoulder to deflect and counter. You know, it's, you get down to it in this fight, to me, I, I think Jose Ramirez is all wrong for him, and I think at the end of the day, Jose Ramirez is going to win this fight by. Stoppage or knockout in the first four or five rounds. Really? That yeah. early?
1: Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with an eighth round stoppage for Jose Ramirez. I think he just sucks the confidence out of Amir Mom. I wouldn't be surprised if Amir Mom pulled off some kind of flash knockdown in this fight. Let's be honest.
0: No, well, the way Ramirez comes in, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, but like you said, if a guy like Granados can physically impose himself, then a guy that is at the peak of what he is able to do mm-hmm. and has been on this constant ascension. Up the ranks at 140 pounds. I mean, look, momentum is on Ramirez's side. Um, you and I both pick him. Jose Ramirez versus Amir Mam. Um, St. Patrick's Day, New York City. For the WBC Junior Welterweight Championship of the World on the card, of course, is the novelty attraction in Michael Conlan. <laughs> you know, we got to have a guy who like walk down the aisle in a leprechaun outfit. What I mean, what would a March seventeenth fight at MSG
0: Theater be without it? <laughs> I, I, I completely that just flew right over my head <laughs> that he was on that card and it's St. Patrick's Day.
1: Yeah, so it's gonna be a rowdy crowd, dude. You mix Jose Ramirez, his diehard following, right? With the Irish contingency that's going to be behind Michael Conlon. You better watch out, son. Amir Mom and Don King don't stand a chance.
0: <laughs> Madison Square Garden Theater may not be safe come <laughs> Saturday.
1: Oh, man. i tell you who's not going to be safe is the opponent stepping in the ring with Alexander Gabozdich. No. Um, you know, this is just work for him. This is just, uh, you know, getting in, you know, fight, staying active or right. whatever. Um But Alexander Gavozdich is kind of lost on this card, man. A lot of people aren't talking about it, you
0: know? No, no. And look, I mean, the style of fighter that he is and what he brings to the ring, yeah. I mean, we ought to be talking about it. But like you said, it's a matchup. It's a a stay-busy fight, and it is what it is. But I think the bigger news, Ken, would be that uh, one Felix Verdejo returns on the undercard, buried, buried with Jose Pedraza. Are we building towards a Verdejo-Pedraza showdown? Ben. Is that where this is headed?
1: <laughs> From ESPN prospect
0: of the year to the ESPN app. <laughs> Felix yeah. Verdejo. Good God, what happened to this fucking kid, man? I was, I mean, I'd walk around with a raging heart on, watching highlights of this. <laughs> a fucking Diamante kid. tipped raging yeah. heart on? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this fucking fell off a cliff. God damn it. What a what a wasted talent if he doesn't if he isn't able to get where he's everybody saw he should have been i mean you got to think this is one of the bigger wasted talents in in recent boxing
1: guy got full of himself he did you know a guy who's undisciplined wouldn't go to a real gym you know wouldn't take on real
0: sparring partners how much pussy he was probably getting oh yeah dude yeah jesus christ a million dollar smile that'll ruin a man in in his early 20s yeah
1: he's a puerto rican version of ravishing
0: rick rude (laughs) (laughs) you know hello ladies (laughs) that's who's that Val Venus. Val Venus. oh shit
1: <laughs> um look either way i think it's going to be a raucous environment yeah march 17th uh, um not I, to
0: mention you know you got the irish you got the mexicans throw the puerto ricans in there that place is going to be wild son
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yes it will
1: um yeah and there'll be like three or four ukrainians you know what yeah. i mean they're gonna be like standing there stoic like "Will this all hill
0: i will break you <laughs>
1: oh man all right that was all
0: that was extremely racist ken oh can you erase that please i don't want that to be put put out in the airways for people to judge me
1: yeah Uh uh-huh then look you may as well just consider yourself a stand-up comedian anything goes right you know what i'm saying
0: that's how i treat it yeah absolutely me too
1: i mean we're we're high-paid comedians right that talk about boxing see people don't know that we're on the road throughout the week, making motherfuckers laugh. Yeah, it's a traveling Uh, shit show. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So your your race car don't fucking, it ain't accepted here. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Only American Express. We take EBT, though. (laughs) And AARP. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's get to some news and notes, Vin. Um, The biggest news of the the last seven days, Canelo Alvarez um, in the lead-up about two months out to the Cinco de Mayo rematch with... Triple G Gennady Golovkin for the unified middleweight championship of the year. Test positive
0: for clenbuterol. Then, Finn. Yeah. Mexican meat rares. It's fucking head again. Ken look dirty meat. Yeah. Uh, you know, is it an excuse? I don't know that he is did he, is he really roiding? I don't know. Does anybody know? Is it, does it fucking matter at the end of the day? I mean, honestly, Triple G's not going to turn down the fight. He wants the money. There's no other money out there that he can make as big as he's going to make in this fight. To me, the biggest joke of the situation is the sanctioning bodies expose how fucking just they have no moral grounds whatsoever. They immediately, you know, come out and uh, we're backing Canelo. When anybody else would test positive, they fucking ban him immediately. Yeah. Drop him. Yeah. Banned six months. Banned a year. Now. No. Now Canelo, we're in your corner, bud. Yeah, nobody provides us with the type of paychecks and sanctioning fees that you do. We're we're gonna stick behind you, bud. Don't worry. It, it, just right, of course, right after him and the and the WBC kind of mend the fences, mm. and him and him and Suleiman are fucking glad handing again. Yeah, you know, to me, all this, the conversation is has, has gotten annoying already, and it builds off the end of the first fight with the scorecards and the fanboys, and it just. This it, 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 this is one of those fights that's so fucking big financially. It doesn't fucking matter. This is where the dirtiest of the dirtiest come out in the sport of boxing. This fight will go on no matter what. And and when the money's this big, I'm sorry, it, this is, you know, this fight isn't for the fans. Look at the fucking ticket prices. You know, it, it, this it is what it is. This is when boxing gets this big and it's on this level. Just sit back and enjoy the fucking ride because it's a shit show, and anything goes and and it just is what it is if you've been a boxing fan for long enough, you know what to expect here and i you know i'm just I'm not going to get up in arms about it it's fucking whatever the conversation's over for me as far as I'm concerned you
1: know what I found really interesting was that of course, in the wake of this and being as high profile as it is, that Victor Conti, the rehabilitated <laughs> Uh, you know, he's the
0: Mark Kriegel of P P E D users, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, he became a hot commodity. Everybody wanted to hear what Victor Conti had to say about this because a lot of boxing fans rely on his expertise to be able to sort of adjudicate these things, and maybe not as fast as the W B A and the W B C did. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? But they want answers as fast as possible. I would say this: there was one question in all the appearances and interviews that I heard. Uh, asking Victor Conti's opinion about this Clenbuterol positive test was here's exactly how I would have fielded this question. It would have been perfect. I'd be like, Victor, 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 Kenny Keith, the boxing rant over here, over here. Yes, yes. In the back, in the back. Yeah. Uh, one question as it pertains to PEDs. You bore witness to the increasing hat size growth of Barry Bonds. <laughs> you helped Barry Bonds's hat size go from a six and three eighths to a seven and three quarters can you comment on the increased head size of canelo alvarez (laughs) dude why wasn't that question asked i don't know if anybody knows why canelo's fucking head
0: i don't know if it was the quaff the quaff mixed with the beard that made it look bigger but it certainly looked very sizable oh my gosh man (laughs) look um
1: you know all jokes aside um I think the real issue that I have with this, and, and I know it's one of these things you can't get past, because you pretty much just squashed any any realistic, you know, argument about this sort of falls to the wayside to the parties involved. Um, I did find it rather convenient that literally minutes after Golden Boy and Eric Gomez released this statement, right? I get it in the in the in the in the email box, right? Mm-hmm. Here's Golden Boy's statement on the positive test from Glenn, uh, Glenn Buterol. WBA and WBC are like, you know, two of these uh interlocked arm kneelers and you know, during the national anthem of an NFL game coming out in solidarity minutes after. And it was convenient that not too long before that, like you said, all of a sudden, the Canelo and the WBC are back in it. It's almost like Canelo needed as, as many advocates as he could find for something that they knew was coming down the yeah. pipeline. And guess what? They had it all aligned. The yeah. only person that... Ducks se- were
0: in a row, weren't they?
1: Yes, they were. And the only person that seemed to be completely lost once again and late to the party was old Bob Bennett. <laughs> Hold on. I'm investigating the catalogs down in Mexico. (laughs) Give me a minute.
0: Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't been paid yet. I don't know what to say until. Waiting for this check to clear. (laughs) Is it
1: good to cash, Oscar?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That fucking Bob Bennett voice fucking kills me. Uh, It fucking kills me. Look, dude, uh, you know. Canelo's become the fighter. He's become, he's not near on the level of Floyd Mayweather as far as being the payday for other fighters. But I think you got you know, it's a realization that's been a part of the sport. And, and if you followed Mayweather's career, you know it. Canelo is the house fighter in Vegas. He will get every fucking advantage. You know that when you're going into the negotiations, you have to assume something is going to be awry. So for Triple G and Tom Loeffler, I would say this. Dude, you want to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. You finished that perfectly for me. <laughs> That's oh. why the show works, guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you know, it is what it fucking is. And at the end of the day, you know what it sets up? It sets up for if Canelo wins, well, he was on PDs. I'm going to need to see this a third time to be sure. <laughs> God help us fucking all. Oh, you're such a cynical fuck, then. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, look, man, I know the fight's not going to take a squat. I just love rabble-rousing with people, getting them all fired up. Cause, right. Look, there's a perception that, uh, you know, Ken is on, you know, an, uh, an insider for Team Triple G.
0: Oh, yeah, we've uh, been accused many times. And and Are you a part of Steve Kim's army, Ken?
1: I'm telling you right now, the only pair of Jordans that I have in my closet, I've had for like 10 years. I bought some knockoffs, man. Well, I'm saying I keep them clean, though. I'm saying if we're gonna keep shilling, <laughs> I'm gonna need them Jordan fives.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna need something.
1: <laughs> the black with the Carolina blue patent leather.
0: Either that, or you know, send me up a shipment of some frozen Mexican meat so I can get sized <laughs> up here, and we'll shill for Canelo too. I don't give a shit.
1: That's the thing. Look, look, look. My only qu- like like serious beef with it <laughs> with this. Entire, I really did not plan that. Um, uh, you know, with this thing is that look. You're Canelo Alvarez, right? You're probably worth like $200 million, right? right? You're making 20 to <clears throat> twenty to $30 million dollars a fight, all right? You typically have training camp in San Diego. Nah, for this one, I'm going to disappear. Go MIA. Yep. Nobody's going to be able to get in touch with me when it comes to renegotiating this rematch down in Mexico, and then, oh, no, 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 now I'm done with whatever I was doing. There's traces of what I was doing, yeah, but not enough to <laughs> prove what I was doing. I mean it right, fun. now he's going back to San Diego, and he's going to be stringently tests from
0: this point forward. Vin, he's already clean, Ken,
1: oh, yeah, that's right. Mike Coppinger has gone ahead, <laughs> him and I only have solved the case. row raggy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was Mr. fucking Smithers in the amusement park. Yeah, again. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. No, but that's my whole thing with this, man. It's like, come on, you're Canelo Alvarez, all right? Yeah. You have seen your fellow countrymen. It's been on TV. It's been in the boxing world. Your trainer is a butcher, an expert in Mexican beef. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And you don't know how to avoid this. If there was a legitimate attempt, it's, it's always this, I oh, I didn't know. It wasn't me. It was the one armed man. You know? <laughs> right. It's like, dude, you, you knew. Yeah. You knew that this could potentially happen. So it makes it even uh, digging deep into my cynical side of my brain makes me feel like this whole thing has just been choreographed to dredge uproar, fervor, interest to take these fights where they need to go. How could Golden Boy, the WBC and the WBA, Mike Coppinger and Kevin Ioley, all be in lockstep coordination everything was in place yeah that's why the ring hired mike coppinger <clears> was <throat> for this very moment
0: <laughs> it would seem that way wouldn't
1: it i don't know i'm getting a little par- i smoked some
0: good weed before the show it makes me a little paranoid hey, you, you you know your your mind wanders down the paths of who knows what can happen in the sport of boxing
1: oh man um look man i'm still gonna get my steak at Safeway. You exactly. Know? You know? If it comes from Mexico, so be it. Oh, yeah, my <laughs> the steak I eat gives me bitch tits, so what?
0: what is this thing stacked with? Estrogen? <laughs> <laughs> I need some asthma medication in my beef. Well, you're not supposed to eat more than a 12-ounce cut in one sitting, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> then
1: why does Outback sell a fucking 35-ounce tomahawk ribeye?
0: Yeah, well, you know, we've all been there, Ken. Sometimes it's time to crush. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my thing is
1: how do you have clenbutyrol traces in your piss or in your blood if you eat enough meat you get the meat sweats right you just sweat it right out you would think yeah i don't know man um look the it all stinks the deck is stacked against triple g obviously no matter how you slice it obviously yeah um well i guess the fight's gonna happen cinco de mayo so
0: everybody's getting paid i know that
1: hashtag no excuses vin yeah
0: is that where we're taking this I kind of just—I'm going to mute the conversation because the fight's going to be great, but the conversation that comes along with it to me is—I I, I get immediately annoyed of people. I—I'm sorry if you're fanboying one way or the other. I don't want to hear it. Shut up,
1: Oscar. This case will be closed after my check clears, Oscar. <laughs> what about the uh, stacking the hand wrap thing? You hear about that? Yeah strange
0: yeah Hmm. oh it's perfectly legal Vin. perfectly legal yeah but lara couldn't do it (laughs) when he was fighting canelo but now it's fine yeah dude it is so corrupt it's so corrupt (laughs) all right um
1: uh, more news and notes and we'll get out of here anthony joshua versus deontay wilder we thought that this thing had come to an impasse because of what you had spoke about on episode 196 last week then about um there hasn't been much dialogue from Eddie Hearn's camp since initial conversations took place between Hearn and Al Heyman. Oh sorry Lou Al Heyman um regarding a potential unification fight in the future between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. But now even though this, you know, this Anthony Joshua Joseph Parker fight still is two weeks, three weeks away, um now we're getting closer to this proposed unif super unification fight as Deontay Wilder has said that he will accept 40% of
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's come out and said, well, I don't know if it was him himself or Shelly Finkel, whatever the case may be. Cause Finkel kind of responded to that v- uh, video that Hearn did uh, last week that I spoke about where he's calling him fucking Shirley Winkle and disrespecting a guy who's, you know, been involved in the sport of uh, boxing and negotiated more fucking deals than Hearn can remember. He's negotiated you know, <clears throat> and has a, a, a relationship with Barry Hearn, his father. And you know, They've worked together for years, and, you know, I I get it. Hearn was trying to be funny, but he's fucking disrespected the shit out of the man. Finkel could have got into the pissing match with him, but basically he just came out and said, look, you know, yeah, Deontay Wilder did say, you know, a month ago or so that we wouldn't accept the fight unless it was 50-50. But Eddie Hearn is using that excuse as if that was the reason back in November that they stopped negotiating because they said it had to be fifty fifty back then. Oh no, that's not the case. Like we saw with Steve questioning Eddie Hearn this after the fight this week about Scott Quigg. Eddie Hearn's a lying sack of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, think? Right, look, he he fucking he he's a liar. If you follow what this guy's done through his career, he's a manipulator and a liar, dude. He's a boxing promoter.
1: Oh, there you go. That's what they do. You've
0: summed it up. Yeah. So you know, <clears throat> the bottom line is is that. This, this fight seems to be kind of closing in, you know. 60-40 seems fair to me. I would see no reason why this fight cannot be made at, at 60-40. There's no reason Joshua can't accept them terms.
1: I liked what I heard, and I don't know if, 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 if it was the same sort of piece of uh, information that was gathered out of Deontay Wilder's camp about them accepting the 40%, but I love the idea. I think 40% is a great concession, and he's going to travel. You know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, and he and he also the statement was he will accept forty percent, and if Joshua loses and there there will be a rematch. Clause, sure, sure. Joshua then has to accept the forty percent in the rematch. Yeah. So yes, of course. What it's, it's a win win. What, what more fair? How more, how much fairer of a deal could you get,
1: dude? They're going to
0: be throwing
1: around cash after one, two, three, however many fights that Wilder and Joshua may have. No matter how these things come to fruition, everybody's going to get rich. Okay. Yeah. But dragging this thing out, if Wilder was 36 or 37, I could see the play mm-hmm. from matchroom. Couldn't you? I mean, it'd be like, okay, yeah, you're clearly trying to wait till this guy gets older. Well, Wilder came out of the Ortiz fight without breaking his hand. Yeah. So I think he's probably licking his chops right now.
0: Yeah. You better get it now. I mean, there's no reason to be letting this thing marinate, uh, it's not going to get any bigger. You know, I saw a comment on Twitter, I can't remember who the fuck it was, saying something like, Eddie Hearn would be fucking arrogant enough to put this fight off to 2020 so they could fight outdoor at the Las Vegas Raiders new stadium, you know, in order to blow it up. Because, let's be honest, when it comes to this fight, you know, Anthony Joshua is the A-side. If he wants to fight in the U.K., that's where it's going to be. But you also leave a lot of money on the table because – you're not going to have a 5 p.m. pay per view in the states. It's not going to happen. It won't sell enough. So you kind of got to. There's, there's, you got to weigh the options here. That it may be more financially, you know, a, a bigger financial gain for everybody to do it in Vegas and put it on pay per view in the states because we pay five times as much as they do. And, and this will get a million buys or right around it, in my opinion.
1: And Joshua can really become a U.S. boxing star, right? Uh, he'll have the opportunity to, anyway. So
0: you know, you know who who knows, you know where this thing ends up. It's going to be a long, tedious negotiation. That's for goddamn sure. I will be shocked, shocked if we get this fight this year.
1: So Deontay Wilder versus Dominic Brazil too coming your way, S-
0: something along those
1: lines, yeah. Well, Charles Martin's back. You ain't seen that fool walking the earth like a god. <laughs> I seen him. I said, I said, baby, you see that? That's is that, a God. Is that God? That's a god. Is that the Lord himself?
0: <laughs> Charles Martin. <laughs> Walked to earth like a god. Uh just the funniest fucking statement ever. <laughs> he was high as shit. He was.
1: I say some dumb shit like that when I'm high. <laughs> I got 197 episodes to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Um and you know, just to end the show on a on a positive note.
0: Like we always like to do. Yes,
1: of course, of course. Adrian Broner will now be squaring off against Jesse Vargas as Omar Figueroa is in the middle of a field sobriety test.
0: (laughs) At 144 pounds, of course, Ken. Let's placate the man some fucking more, please.
1: Whatever. I mean, dude, Jesse Vargas is a natural 147. Yeah. You know? To me, he is now.
0: This might be the official end of Adrian Broner.
1: This is a much, much tougher uh, competitor. than Omar Figueroa. I mean, Jesse Vargas shows up to fight.
0: Yeah. Look, I don't see Broner standing a chance in this fight at all. No. No chance. No chance. What do you
1: think the opening odds will be? you think Broner will be favored?
0: Nah, he'll be plus 200-something. Really? Yeah, I think Vargas would be minus 325. If Vargas... I I
1: don't necessarily agree with you, but I totally see it. If if Vargas opens up as the betting favorite
0: for this one, put it all on Vargas. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah, I I don't see any way Broner... To me, when it comes to guys that, you know, and Vargas hasn't been the most active fighter over the last two years.
1: He's a big guy, though.
0: He's a big guy, and, uh, you know, he takes the sport serious, whether he's been in the ring a lot or not. This isn't a clown that does boxing for money, you know, and then spends it all and then needs to fight again. This is a guy who is a fucking serious fighter. Adrian Broner against anybody in the top 10 at 147 pounds, whether he's coming down to 144 or not, he don't stand a fucking chance, in my opinion.
1: Want to hear some conspiracy theory shit? What's that? Remember early on in Jesse Vargas's career, all the questionable decisions that he got in his hometown of Las Vegas? Oh, yeah remember? Mm -hmm. And everybody was really, really paranoid at the fact that this guy was getting inside jobs because he had basically fought his entire career from the amateurs all the way to where he had gotten in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. right? And as soon as he started stepping out of those cozy confines, uh, the rules, the parameters started to change a little bit. Um, You know, just putting this out there, but let's just say maybe in some of those cases that Jesse Vargas is on the receiving end of some deals, right? Let's just say this. Um, Jesse Vargas fled the coop. He's now with the PBC and Al Heyman. What's not to say that he is going to be handsomely rewarded outside of the realms of the reported purses mm-hmm. to make Adrian Broner look good in this one, Ben? Yeah. Is, that, is that far-fetched?
0: No, it's not because, you know, an Adrian Bron- Adrian Broner wins that fight and he'll immediately be catapulted into relevant again by most people, most idiots. Anyways. The Danny <laughs> Garcia fight? Yeah, da- <laughs> it, it lines him up for Danny Garcia Sean Porter, Keith Thurman immediately if he wins that fight. And that fight will sell. Whether you think Adrian Broner is good enough to be involved in those fights or not, when Adrian Broner's name is on the bill, it will sell.
1: Whether Jesse Vargas is a better opponent for Omar Figueroa or not, I will say this. This would have been an easy opportunity for Adrian Broner and his camp, right? To bail out of a fight that people thought Omar Figueroa is just dangerous enough, mm-hmm. he's been in some reckless fights. He's got heavy hands, right? Mm-hmm. It would have been real easy for them to be like, "Oh, Omar Figueroa can't show up to the party. Give me that I like Berbidiyev rematch, right?" Berbidiev. you know? No, it would have been easy. It's Berbidiyev, <laughs> Balak Berbidiyev. <laughs> but I mean, they I could have taken the easy way out here, yeah.
0: and they didn't. No. So yeah, it's it's kind of weird. They're either throwing Jesse or throwing Adrian Broner to the wolves and saying "see you later," or they're going to help him out and boost him back up. Let me lift you up, Adrian. <laughs> or they're like, Broner, we can't afford to pay you them as old, but in
1: purses no more. <laughs> so you got to find somebody serious. You ain't getting paid, fool.
0: <sighs> Your black scent is unacceptable, Ken.
1: It's not a black scent. That's how I feel about Adrian Broner. <laughs> that is me. Brings it out, huh? It does. It does. It's
0: just another side of me. It's a natural reaction. Yeah,
1: and the boxing universe gets a little taste. <laughs>
0: just, just the tip. <laughs> I bet most people are glad it's just the tip. <laughs>
1: oh, it don't take much for you to get inoculated, though. <laughs> drip, drip. <laughs> Oh, what would an episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast be without a little comedy at the end?
0: Yeah, there's got to be a dick and a fart joke in there somewhere, right? Absolutely. Just got to wait till minute 58 or whatever we're on right now.
1: <laughs> oh, good shit. Well, I guess it's time to uh, call 197 quits today, then. Let's do it, sir. I got to take a leak. I got to take a shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> See you in the bathroom. <laughs>
0: Oh,
1: man. We appreciate all of you tuning in to episode 197 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play and check out the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. We'll be back next week with episode 198. Is a ring of the post fight of Jose Ramirez versus Amir Imam and much, much more. Ben? Good show, bud. Oh, thanks, buddy. I think I just peed a little bit. <laughs> we need to shorten up this song. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a little too long. <laughs> but I love them Jamaican horns. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrat.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.